Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Stop me if you heard this one before. There's no such thing as the fantasy offseason, only the fantasy pre-draft season. The folks at Sports Ethos aren't wasting any time. Why should you? With team reviews, NBA draft breakdowns on the key rookies coming in, free agency and summer league all coming up through the next couple of months, you cannot afford to not stay on top of the information. Why scramble in September to try to get your draft list together when you can be ready in advance? Head to sportsethos.com, click on the premium tab, choose the fantasy pass for just $5.99 a month. You don't have an off-season. They don't have an off-season. Let it match. Go get back on board with the Fantasy Pass if you had it before, or get on board now for the first time. Again, just $5.99 a month, and early access to the Brewski 150 when that comes out much closer to the start of the NBA season. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. Apologies for the slightly later release today. My kiddo... Had a big medical procedure this morning. Everything's going fine, in case that was the first thought that popped into your head, which probably means you're a good human being, so thank you for thinking that. We are all well. Everything is good. Uh, I just didn't have time to get into my recording. This is very much in quotes. Studio, which is a $60 mixer and a decent microphone hooked up in about a 5-foot-by-4-foot corner of my bedroom in a two-bedroom apartment in West L.A. We don't have room. We're not good on space around these parts. But thank you, as always, for tuning in. I did decide, ultimately, I mentioned this towards the end of yesterday's show, that I thought maybe, because there weren't any games happening tonight, this would be a really good opportunity for us to kind of re-break down the playoffs. As opposed to when we do it on Fridays, previously it had just sort of made sense to do it on Fridays because you could let it dangle over the weekend, you had some new series and stuff like that. Right now we're right in the middle of a series anyway. We don't have any games to look at for pace tonight, so we'll just do a little bit of a look ahead. That gives everybody some time to prepare themselves for Friday, for Saturday. Not so much Sunday, because again, that's the the games from Friday. They just flip, I think, who's going first and who's going second on the time slots. So we get you prepped for Friday, for Saturday. We take a look at series prices, and that'll be our show for today. So today is the playoffs day instead of Friday. It's weekend four question mark of the fantasy playoffs did i get that right i have no idea i can look back and see what the titles were of previous episodes that's the only way i know yeah this is weekend betting primer part four this is fantasy offseason episode number 19 yeah i got it i got this by the way, I'm at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Sports Ethos is uh, Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. We also just have the Sports Ethos Twitter handle. And uh, shout out to our baseball and our football guys. Brand new football show going up tomorrow on Friday. He goes Monday, Wednesday, Friday right now. While the news is somewhat slow, that ramps up to five days a week. Fantasy MLB today is rolling five days a week right now. Those guys, man, really impressed with what they're doing. Super excited about the uh, the avenues that that opens up here at Sports Ethos. Uh, but let's start with some series prices and kind of how those have adjusted as the series have gone on. With the heat up now two games to nothing, 
on the Sixers, and Joel Embiid likely to return for Game 3. That's where we're at right now. Suns delivering a pretty good, a firm butt-kicking to the Dallas Mavericks after... I mean, that game was relatively close. One point Dallas lead at halftime, if I'm remembering right, and then Chris Paul just... He is owning people. I know Luka had a pretty good game offensively, but he's getting picked on on the defensive side. Phoenix, like... Oh man, Chris Paul, dude, he he just he doesn't get cute with it at any point. He is just attacking, and he's so good late. It's crazy. Warriors and Grizzlies are tied one game apiece. That's an interesting uh, that's an interesting line on that one. But let's look at the series prices first, and then we'll take a look at the individual games coming up. Everybody staring down the barrel of a game three in each of them. Heat are a minus 2,000 favorite over Philadelphia. Phoenix is a minus 1,600 favorite over Dallas. I don't actually really know. My, you know, my assumption is that the reason the, the Heat are a larger favorite is because Joel Embiid remains questionable for game three, and at least Dallas has their horses as the series shifts to Dallas, as the series shifts to Philadelphia. Otherwise, those things are pretty much in parallel. couple of number one seeds doing what they're supposed to do. Against four seeds, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's both the 1-4 one, one matchup on each of them. Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, there isn't much in the way of value there. Uh, we said before those series started, I felt pretty strongly that the Heat and the Suns would win those series. Sixers, to me, felt like a paper tiger. James Harden just doesn't really have the juice he had before. Their team is starting to get annoyed with him because his passing isn't that great. And teams just know what to do with him in the playoffs. He's not a mystery at this time of year. He had 20 points, 9 assists in their last ball game. He was fine, but he wasn't hardened from days of yore. You can just take him out of plays. And while he's not perhaps as bad defensively as historically folks would have you believe, he's not good at that end of the floor. Dallas, uh, to me, the, you know, I, I've heard some of the talking heads discussing whether or not Luka is going to be like the next James Harden, and I don't think, no. I think my answer to that is no. The reason the ball's in his hands all the time is because that team just doesn't really have the, the type of secondary options that they'd need. One thing that Dallas did do nicely when Utah, when they didn't have Doncic, was they moved the ball a little bit better. You know, Luka self-initiating everything has taken Jalen Brunson kind of out of his game. Spencer Dinwiddie hasn't really been able to get into his game either. But also, let's be very clear about this, Phoenix is a lot better than Utah. But as far as series prices goes, this is not one we need to spend all that much time on, either one of those two series, because you're not getting in on the underdog, and the favorite is way too expensive. Dallas isn't coming back. Even if Phoenix loses one of their superstars, Dallas isn't coming back. And it's kind of the same story for Philadelphia. They have the slightly better shot, oddly enough, because if Embiid returns, they become a much more competitive team. Miami has to adjust a bit how they deal with things defensively, because right now they don't have to respect Philadelphia's big man. That goes from being one of the worst big men to one of the best. It's a pretty steep drop-off to DeAndre Jordan there. So if you wanted to say anything, I mean, you could look at Philly at plus 950 as like a tenth of a unit flyer. And in that case, you're like, all right, well, you know, what if Jimmy Butler has to miss two games? Then maybe you get yourself a series again. But that's about as good as it gets. One thing I've been pretty surprised about is that Boston remains a favorite over Milwaukee at minus 135, despite the Bucks now snatching home court advantage away from the Celtics. And I think some of that has to do with how roundly Boston beat Milwaukee in game two. 
But it's worth pointing out that the Bucks were atrocious at jump shots in Game 2, and sometimes that's what the NBA comes down to. This was a runaway for Boston. Make no mistake, this was not a close ball game. It wasn't really close throughout, and the Celtics won by 23. Uh, but Milwaukee couldn't hit a shot. They made three three-pointers, missed most of their free throws. Boston hit 20 three-pointers, made far more of their shots than expected based on the looks the two teams were getting, and so you ended up with this. Milwaukee got out-rebounded. They had more turnovers than Boston. They shot the free throws much worse. They couldn't hit shots from outside. You're going to lose. Boston's not going to be this good again in Game 3. Milwaukee's not going to be even close to this bad in Game 3 as they switch venues. The one thing that does feel somewhat constant, and we'll talk more about this when we get into the individual games for each of these two teams, is that defense is prevalent on both sides. But I, I do want to take time to kind of get to the, the, the little tidbits on that one. Uh, we dove in on Milwaukee before the series started because I thought they'd take at least one out of two in Boston, and then we might be able to get in on the Celtics. And lo and behold, it worked like a charm. We probably should have talked about this after game one when Milwaukee won it, and this was basically like a pick em on the series price because the Bucks were, what was it? I think plus 170-something underdog going into the series without Chris Middleton. I said, hey, you got a good value on Milwaukee there, and you might have an opportunity to get either both teams on an underdog price or Milwaukee at a plus 175 and Boston at a favorite price that's lower than 170. You could take Boston now at minus 135, or you could have done it before game two if you thought they were going to come back and, and win that one, which I honestly thought Milwaukee might win them both, but whatever. It doesn't really matter at this point. Point is... At minus 135, combine that with a plus 175, you've actually created a middle. And those are the best. Money line middles are the, are the easiest to read because you don't need the series or a game or whatever to fall within a certain window. You just need it to eventually end. Because you can pick the right number of units to make it work. If you put a unit on the bucks at plus 170 or whatever it is, so now it's 1 to win 1.7, you can say, all right, well, look, if this one pans out, if, if they lose, I lose one unit. So whatever I do on the Boston side, I need to make sure that I can win one unit. You could do minus 135 if you wanted to just do a straight hedge on the Boston side, which at that point you guarantee yourself uh, at worst break even. And at best, Milwaukee wins. You lose your 135, you make your 170. So you win, you know, 35 hundredths of a unit or whatever that turns out to be. But either way, here's the thing. You've created, however you want to break this thing out, you could then, if you want to do, you could put a buck 1.7 on the Celtics to win a little more than one unit. That's basically your way of saying, look, I think now Boston is probably going to be, be the team that wins this. If they do, you lose the one unit on Milwaukee. You win a little bit more than a unit on Boston. It's not quite $35. It's a little bit less than that. But at this point, you're creating a middle based on the team you think has the higher probability of winning in the end. Or you could do the math and split it right down the pipe and just basically say, I'm shooting for like two-tenths of a unit and it doesn't matter who wins the series. Either way, though, you've created a spot where your worst-case scenario is break-even. That's awesome. Warriors-Grizzlies um, didn't 
quite go from a line standpoint the way I thought it would. Uh, Warriors came in as a favorite, won the first game, became a larger favorite. Memphis came back and won game two, and that number dropped a little bit back. Uh, We talked before this series about taking the Grizzlies before their home games, thinking, all right, maybe they get one out of two, but it wasn't quite so easy because the, the favorite was the road team, and that made it hard to gauge what a win or a loss might actually do to the series. Buck Celtics was the one where we went into it. We were like, okay, look, Milwaukee-Boston, I thought Milwaukee was going to win this series. I still do think Milwaukee's going to win this series. I could be wrong, but what I was pretty confident of was that Boston wasn't going up 2-0, and so putting a series wager on Milwaukee allowed us to create this midpoint. That's all we needed. We just needed them to take one out of two in Boston, and we could create a midpoint, and that's what we did. And just sort of to put a bow on this thing, the Warriors-Grizz series is pretty damn close to where it started. I think there was an expectation that the Warriors would take a game in Memphis. This one gets flipped on its head. I think a little bit if it goes back to Memphis 2-2. Meaning if the Grizzlies win one out of the two games in Golden State, then you start to see the series price move a little bit. If you think that might happen... This is your chance to get in on the Grizzlies at a good price. You could maybe wait through game three if you think the Warriors go up two games to one. And then do you hop on the Grizzlies at what I assume would probably be a plus 300 some odd underdog price? There's a shot there because if the Grizzlies win game either of the next two games and go back to Memphis in a 2-2 tie, the price is going to get shorter on both teams because the best of three, now you're starting to get into toss-ups. Best of two, best of one, not best of two, best of one if it gets to that point. The pricing you're getting now on Memphis in a tied series going to Golden State is about as strong an underdog play as they'll get the rest of the way. Again, barring, basically, if you want to eliminate the probability or the possibility that they win either three or four, and you're just like, look, I think they win one of the next two. I don't know which of the two it's going to be, but if I think Memphis wins one of the next two, you get him in you get him now at plus 265 and then if you go back to Memphis tied 2-2 you might be able to get the warriors at a at a fairly equivalent rate on the favorite side sort of the mid 200s heaven forbid the grizzlies go up 3-2 in this series at any point then things really flip on their head but i don't think we can think that far down the line i think i might throw again like maybe a quarter unit on grizzlies at, at plus 265 and just think they maybe get one out of two games in Golden State. If they don't, you lose a quarter unit. It's not the end of the world. We've already locked up that and then some with our Bucks celtics middle. So now we can kind of play with it a little bit. Let's talk about the actual games coming up for each of these four series and how we might want to break those down. Because, well, for one, the Heat are a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, which right now suggests that oddsmakers don't think Joel Embiid is playing. Because if Embiid was playing, this game would be very close to a pick'em. You might even see the Sixers a very, very, very narrow favorite. Total of 210. Total of 210. Which is notable because, and we can go back to uh, game one of that series was Monday. They ended at 198. They went under the posted total by 10 points. Remember we talked about how the uh, 
That game went under despite the fact that the pace actually wasn't that slow. But again, it, it, you know, it wasn't like lightning fast, but there was an expectation that it should have been one like the 214-215 range. We talked about this between game one and game two. I said, look, the reason the line isn't being adjusted down that much between these two ball games, which Monday the closing line was 208.5, to Wednesday the closing line was also yesterday 208.5. It was a little bit lower. It was like 207 going into the action. And I said, look, you actually probably have a slight over bubble. I tend not to bet overs during the playoffs because weird things happen and games oftentimes find a way to get to the under. But it was not an underplay in game two. If anything, it was an overplay and it went over. How did it get there is the second question. Was it offensive efficiency or was it a good tempo? And the answer is a little bit of both. Philly ended up with 103 points on about 103 possessions, actually. They were very, very close to that. Miami actually had more turnovers, far more free throws, but out-rebounded Philadelphia by 10. So that covered a little bit of that gap. And that put Miami at about 107 or so possessions. So this one should have ended right around 210, which is where this line is now. But Miami was very good offensively. They got a lot of free throws. They shot the ball well from the field. They had 14 three-pointers, 51% from the field. And that puts you up and over your mark. It's hard to make a bet on Game 3 without knowing what the deal is on Joel Embiid. If he gets announced in, I think we probably see the line shift to a pick'em or somewhere in that neck of the woods. You probably see the total also move up by a point or two. If Embiid comes back, that might be where I'd look at an under. Because the pace did slow between Games 1 and Games 2. Not by a ton, by about two possessions. Dropped from about 213, 214 possessions to about 210 or so. So if that happens again, you're looking at maybe 206 possessions. And Joel Embiid prefers a slower half-court game. It's, it, we, and again, we talked about this between Game 1 and Game 2, that James Harden is not... It's not like last year when Ben Simmons was healthy, that when Embiid was out, they played fast. They run. They were running because that was their best way to get offense. Now without Embiid, they go to Harden, and that's another kind of slow to develop... It's pick and roll instead of post, but it's slow to develop offense. So Philly's going to play a slow game. Embiid being back slows them down probably even a touch more, although they'll be more efficient in the offensive side. And then on the Miami end of the ledger, can Philadelphia actually protect the rim a little bit, having Embiid instead of mm, DeAndre Jordan, who was a minus 9 in 13 and a half minutes, why they insist on Paul Reed was a minus 2 in 25 minutes of this game. Like, they played pretty close to break even when he was out there, and yet DeAndre Jordan still gets to play. Danny Green was also quite terrible. I don't want to take anything away from him, but a lot of it was starting unit issues, which happened to be anchored by the defense of, or not anymore, but what used to be the defense of DeAndre Jordan. So then you look at the total in this ballgame, and you see it at 210, you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, actually. It might tick up if it gets to 211 or 212. I might look at an under for game three. Um, but as it currently stands, that number is right on the money. And as far as the side goes, I don't know, man. I don't know how you can bet into a side without knowing if Embiid's playing. Suns uh, pick them with the Mavericks on the road. This game in Dallas now. A total of 219. 
And after watching the first two games of this series, Dallas has so much work to do because they somehow kept it within seven in game one. It's not entirely clear how they were able to pull that off. 16 three-pointers was probably part of it, getting a few more free throws and only eight turnovers. That was part of it. But offensively, Phoenix has been a juggernaut in this one. They went over by 20-some-odd points in Game 1. They went over again by about 20 in Game 2. And remember the conversation we had on Tuesday's podcast? Eh, No, wait, was that yesterday? I honestly can't remember. Doing a show in the afternoon now makes me confuses me on when I actually what day it is. It was yesterday. We talked about these games yesterday. One of the really interesting notes was that their first game had a total of 214 and a half and went over by 21. Second one moved up a couple of points and continued to go up despite the fact that from an actual speed standpoint, they're not playing that fast. But Phoenix shot 60 for the game in Game 2. I thought Game 2 had a chance to sneak under a little bit. Obviously, I was very wrong on that one. Uh, But again, we're talking about, you know, Phoenix only had in this game about 102-103 possessions, and they just went blasting past that mark because they got free throws and they made them, and they just didn't miss any shots for the entire damn ball game. Of course, that's going to create a little bit of that weird sort of artificially slow pace because teams are taking it out from a made bucket. Dallas actually had a possession or two more in the ball game, but, you know, splitting hairs to some degree because there just weren't many rebounds available with as good as Phoenix was shooting. I think Dallas was at like 105. So the two teams only, it only ended up at about a 208 possession game. Similar, very similar to the Miami-Philly uh, one in terms of just the actual pace of it. That one ended at 222. Phoenix-Dallas went to 238. Both games yesterday featured good offense. And I would sort of venture to, uh, when, when you look at these again, this is weird. Did one team end up with a bunch of time off and the other one didn't? Yeah, that's strange. Team got two days off, three days off? Did Milwaukee, Boston, one, they didn't play Wednesday, they're not playing tonight. Yeah, what the hell? That's strange. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, I thought for a second that I was doing everything backwards, but I'm not. So the the total now creeping up a little bit further. Now it's up to 219 and a half. So they, they lifted it by a possession after the first one. They lifted it by another possession here after the second one. You're in a spot where at some point... At some point, it's going to start going under. Teams are going to make some small adjustment. Uh, and just from an, just the pure pace of it all, they're not going to be as efficient as they were before. Question is, when do we really hammer that point? Is it this one? Is it the next one? That, it's hard to know for sure. What you could do... And this is not the world's greatest idea, but you could do like a half unit on the under in this one. And if it goes over and that total creeps up again, you could even go bigger on the under in game four. Because at some point, the speed of this game is going to lead to a lower scoring ballgame. If these teams were scoring 225, 230 points on 225 or 230 possessions, I'd say don't. Don't expect it to end up underneath. But 205, 206, 207 possessions... 
And the total just keeps going higher because the teams keep making buckets. At some point, it's going to level off. So I do like the under uh, tomorrow in Suns-Mavs. I think there's a little bit of room under 219 uh, because, again, you know, you're talking a solid 11, 12 pace points of wiggle room to start the thing. That hasn't been enough lately, admittedly. Phoenix has been going 15, 20 points above because they've just been so good on offense. But again, that just won't stick forever. They're carving teams up, but love, love averages will kick in. Look, I, you guys know I love Chris Paul as much as the next guy. Fantasy, he's like my fantasy logo at this point. But is he this good every game? No. Is Devin Booker going to shoot 58? Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder. I mean, everybody on the team made their shots. Every single, get a load of this. Every single Phoenix Suns player who attempted a shot shot 50% or better. Everyone. The only one who didn't, Tori Craig, who didn't take a shot. That's it. Everybody else on the team, 50% or better. That's nuts. I don't care how good some of these guys are. The whole team? Stop. Celtic Bucks, that's all the way to Saturday. There's so much time off. Milwaukee, three-point home favorites, total of 212.5. You got to go all the way back to Tuesday. They played Sunday, Tuesday, and then they're off until Saturday? That's the dumbest crap I've ever seen in my life. The playoffs are too slow. Good Lord. Anyway, Milwaukee beat Boston 101.89 in game one. That total was at 190. The actual total came down from 218 to about 216, so they adjusted it by a possession. And then Boston beat Milwaukee, 109.86, which is 195. So, for Game 3, they brought the total down a little bit more. Farther this time, believe it or not. It's all the way, it opened at 213, and it's been ticking down just a tiny bit, 212, 212.5 in some places as well. Why would it do such a thing? Well... Two very low-scoring games certainly can play an impact on that. And it's also worth pointing out that though the first game ended at 190, that was largely because the offenses were so terrible on both sides. So terrible. Boston by themselves uh, only averaged like 0.85 points per possession. That's horrible. Horrible. I mean, around one is bad, and they were way sub that. <laughs> or around one is fine, I guess. But, oddly, in game two, the pace actually slowed down. Game two is a much slower ball game, and it worked out in Boston's favor. Celtics are going to be better in the half court than Milwaukee without Chris Middleton. Giannis is going to be a, a guy who's going to want to get out and go a little bit, and Boston is going to be trying to grind this thing a little bit more, understanding that the Bucks are down their second most important offensive player. Boston doesn't have that problem. They're missing Marcus Smart, but he's, what, fourth most important offensive player? He's, he's decent enough, but, you know, Jason Tatum, 1A, Jalen Brown, 1B, and then big drop-off to whoever the hell you want to put next. Time Lord, Smart, Horford, whatever. 
Boston only took 80 shots and only had 11 turnovers and only had 15 free throws. Game two went to a buck 95 because it was slow. It was a slow-paced ball game. Yes, there was an inefficiency element as well. Milwaukee shouldn't have been at 86. They probably should have been at least at around 100. But even that would have put this game at 209. Boston did better than their expected mark because they had 23 pointers. You could shoot 47.5% if you make 23 pointers in a ball game. They only had, what, 97, 98 possessions in the ball game? So pace wise, this is actually one of the slowest games of the playoffs so far. We only had like 197, 198 possessions. And so the final total was actually, and it was because Milwaukee went way under their expected mark and Boston went over it, but it ended right around where the speed of the game suggested it might be. Hence, the larger adjustment on the line for game three. We haven't seen too many totals adjusted by three or four points from one game to the next in the playoffs. Usually the adjustments are a little more small tweaks. This is a big drop. And that's why. I think this game moves a little bit quicker, but after seeing how slow game two was, and the Celtics are going to be pretty disciplined at that end, I think there might even still be room on the under, despite the big ratchet down. Probably not enough for me to get with it, because if we see the Bucks control the pace at all in game three, that's the way that it would clear the mark. Uh, but you know, pace-wise on game two, that was a grinder. And finally, Grizzlies-Warriors, big total, 225.5. It's been a Warriors series in general. Grizzlies, too. You know, they played the Wolves, so that was going to be a higher-scoring one. Uh, Warriors favored by 7. That's a pretty big number at home. Um, I don't know how they run away from the Grizzlies. These feel like they should just be pretty good ball games. And that 225.5 is notable because the last game ended at 207 Went under by 20 points. John Moran had 47 by himself, but they only brought the total down by a little bit. And the reason for that is that both teams were quite bad on offense in their last ballgame in what was effectively a fast ballgame. There were 99 rebounds in that game, and a lot of that's because the teams were missing shots, but also uh, they took a lot of shots. Warriors had 95 field goal attempts in game two. That game was moving. No one besides Ja really could throw a stone in the ocean, but that game was hauling butt, man. Warriors 95 shots and 18 turnovers. That's 113 possessions right there. 18 free throws. Grizzlies 91 shots, only 12 turnovers, only 21 free throws. They had Fewer possessions, but made better use of them by making their foul shots and not turning it over as much. But again, you're still talking about one team with like close to 120 plus attempts, field goal and otherwise, and the other team with like 113, 114. So this is a series that, from a speed standpoint, Looked a lot more like the total from Game 1. Warriors won 17, Memphis won 16, than the total from Game 2. And that's why, again, if you're trying to get a read on these types of things, why are totals moved the way they are? Game 1 ended at 223.5. Game 2 moved up by 4 points to accommodate the speed that the teams were playing. 
And then in game two, you just got a game where nobody could hit a bucket other than Ja. Do we think that plays out again in Golden State in game three? I don't. I think someone's making a shot in this game, and you're going to see it move a little bit. Problem, of course, is that series do slow down as they go. And even if game one and game two both were in the 230 in possession range, at some point it's going to start to trickle down towards 225, 222, whatever. When does that happen? Is it game three, four, whatever, six, seven? That's what you're always looking at. But there's actually, believe it or not, a tiny bit of room on the over in that game. I'm not touching it because I do think at some point we're going to lose like two possessions as the teams start to value possessions a little bit more. But 207, yeah. I mean, if you could get it, if you could log a bet and say, I think this game ends up a little bit higher than 207, I think that's a pretty safe one. But getting all the way to 226, mm, I'm going to have to see some better offense. And I don't know if we do. We'll get the speed, but will we get the made buckets? What do I think actually happens, even if the pace is like two or three possessions higher than the total? I, I think that the teams underachieve a tiny bit. But that one, uh, there's there, it's not an underplay. That's for darn sure. I, you know me. I'm not making my overplays, but it's definitely not an underplay. I think Suns Mavs, I think that total might be the most interesting to me on the board. Because those are so slow, but will anyone ever actually miss? Celtics Bucks is kind of interesting. The fact that it still might be slow enough to stay under if the Celtics can stay disciplined. We'll see. We'll see. That's the beauty of it. No games tonight. Don't have to worry about it for a little bit. Tomorrow! I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's a weekend show, so I'll come up with something interesting. Ooh. Ooh, I just had an idea. But I'm not going to tell you because... I don't know. Be naughty here at the end of the show. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Have a lovely Thursday. Enjoyed not needing to use this information until tomorrow and Saturday. Thanks for bearing with me here on the later release. Tomorrow, back to the normal time. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>